You're listening to the Carterville Church Life Podcast. I love our church family, and I hope that you do too. Our goal is that the episodes of this podcast would keep us connected and focused while we're scattered for our week on missions together. I hope that you're blessed by what you hear today. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. You probably noticed from the timestamp that today's episode is a little bit longer than normal, and it is, but for good reason. We've spent the last few episodes honoring Brother Hogan, remembering his legacy and hearing a little bit of testimony from some of the folks who wanted to remember him. Well, today's episode picks up where we've left off. At Brother Hogan's funeral service last week, we had a short audio clip from a sermon that he preached in 2007. And I've had so many people who've told me it was good to hear his voice. Ben, I would love to hear a Brother Hogan sermon. And so I thought I would share the rest of the sermon. So this is the sermon that we took the audio clip from for the funeral. As you listen, it is longer than normal, but it's good to hear Brother Hogan preaching again. So I hope that you enjoy today's episode and share it with people that would find it meaningful. God bless you. Thanks for taking the time to listen. These, these are exciting days at Carterville, and this is going to be an exciting week as we do the Lord's work here. Tomorrow afternoon at 3 and 3.30, we close on both the pieces of property that the church has bought, and we're going to have the money to pay for it. But now, if you want to contribute to the building fund, that will go toward the indebtedness that we have on this building, so go ahead and do that. But we're grateful for this, and God is just working wonders and marvelous ways. And uh, later in the week, we have a new staff member and his wife that will be moving in. Chris and uh, Hope will be coming in. And then this weekend, I'm excited about the marriage conference with Dale and Jenna as they come. I'm just looking over the program, and I, I know that the third session is for Dr. and Mrs. Clawson. They'll be celebrating their 51st wedding anniversary tomorrow, but the third program will be... What's their problem? <laughs> and so I know you want to be a part of this marriage conference. You've heard about it for several weeks now. You want to be a part of it, and God's going to bless, and I'm looking forward to being there because I want to learn how to be a better husband, and I know my wife wants me to do exactly that. So you come and be here and uh, get your tickets today. If you know a young couple or a middle-aged couple or an older couple that you'd like to sponsor, we'll buy their tickets and give them to them and be a part of this. It's going to be a great weekend in this marriage conference then. You have your Bibles handy. Take them and turn with us this morning in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. And we'll be reading together there in a few minutes as we share from the word of the Lord. Paul is on a missionary journey having been called by the grace of God on the Damascus Road, had his experience with Jesus Christ and had done those things that were necessary in his life to become a child of the Lord. And then Paul became very much involved in the work of Christ, sharing with the Gentile nations about Jesus Christ. Not neglecting the Jewish nations, but focusing in on the Gentile nation. He's on a mission journey. He picks up Timothy along the way, has Silas with him. Luke joins him a little bit later. But uh, he is in the area of uh, what is known today as Roman Asia. Now, that's not the Asia that we know today in our generation, but it's a a section of land uh, that is known as Roman Asia. And in Bithynia, 
and uh, these places that are familiar to him as he travels on his missionary journeys. And he wanted to go into Asia, into the Roman Asia, but the Holy Spirit came and spoke to him and said, no, you can't go there. He wanted to go to Bithynia, and uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to him again and said, you can't go there. And so, under the leadership of the Spirit, he came to a seacoast city by the name of Troas. And as he was there in Troas, he had a vision. And the vision was that God wanted him to go over into Macedonia. Now, Macedonia, as we knew it then, is somewhat as we know Greece today. But Macedonia. And so, the next day, Paul shared with those who were with him, he shared with Silas and Timothy about uh, the vision that he had, and they prepared to go across the sea to Macedonia. And within a couple of days, they had traversed the sea, came to a place called Neapolis, which was a seacoast city of a city by the name of Philippi. And uh, there he went quickly to the city of Philippi, where God had been leading him all the time. Now, the city of of, uh, Philippi is a very, very important city in the day in which Paul was uh, traveling on his missionary journey then. It was uh, on the Ignatian Road, which connects the Adriatic Sea and the Aegean Sea, and was a very important trade route from the east to the west and vice versa. It was a city that was strategically located at the head of one of these seacoast towns. And so Paul then came to this city. It was known as a little Rome. It was colonized by professional soldiers who had given their life to the Roman Empire in the army of Rome. It was colonized by these people who were given special privileges to migrate here and to settle here and to be a part of the Roman Empire in this particular area. Outside of the city of Rome, it was one of the most strategically located and magnificent cities in the Roman Empire because they had come in, they had built buildings that had columns that uh, similar to those that were in the city of Rome. It was indeed a beautiful city. Paul came then into this city of Philippi. And as he was there, it was his intention to worship with God's people. And so, there being no synagogue in this city, there were not a Jewish men in the city to establish a synagogue. And so, Paul began to look for some places to worship on the Sabbath day. He went and joined himself with a group of women that were down near the riverbank. And as they were worshiping there, Paul shared with them the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was Lydia then that gave her heart and her life to Jesus there as Paul shared with them. As Paul went about his duties day by day, going from this place to the other place, sharing the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a woman in the city of Philippi, literally a slave. She was a slave that had the ability, they thought, to be a fortune teller. 
And so those who owned her received great reward from her as she would tell fortunes to people. And she began to harass Paul and his entourage. And as they would go about, she would say, here are the men that are proclaiming Christ in a very sarcastic way. And day after day, several days, she did this until Paul decided that it was enough. And he turned and asked that the demons might be cast out of her. She was healed. She was no longer a fortune teller. She no longer could bring money in to those who owned her. And so the owners of the slave became enraged and they had Paul and Silas arrested and they were thrown into prison and they were placed there in the stocks, in the inner prison because the magistrates had told the jailer, these men must not escape. At the risk of your life, you cannot let them escape. Can you imagine what happened in the life of Paul? Because as you see the rest of the story unfold in a few moments, can you see what was happening in the life of Paul? The jailer took Paul and Silas into the inner part of the dungeon. He was placing their feet in the stock so that they would not be able to stand up nor to walk or to move about. They were confined. But as they were being placed in the stocks, I can see and hear Paul as Paul was saying, look, I want you to know the Jesus that we've been sharing. I want you to know the Jesus that we are representing, know the Jesus that came into our heart and into our life and changed our lives. I want you to know the Jesus, the reason that we are here in this prison, in these stocks. I want you to know Jesus. And the jailer listened, no doubt, but with a deaf ear. And we begin to read from God's Word in the 25th verse of Acts chapter 16. If you will stand with me. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the jail was shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison opened, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because all of us are here. Then the jailer called out, asked for the lights. They rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spake the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away he and all of his family were baptized. 
He brought them up into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had believed God with his entire household. Our Heavenly Father, for your precious word, we thank you for the marvelous work of your life and the life of Paul and Silas and others. But, oh God, we are so grateful for the work of Christ in our own lives, and we pray for your leadership and your guidance in our, moment, in our moments of worship and praise. But we pray, oh Father, that we'll live for Jesus every day of our lives. That we'll have the courage and the faith and the stamina and the, and the determination to say to the world in which we live, I belong to Jesus, and I'm not ashamed of it. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can you, without a doubt in your mind, can you say that you have evidence of the fact that Jesus Christ has saved you from your sins? Without a doubt, without a question in your mind, can you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior? If someone were to come in today and arrest you and drag you before some judge somewhere and charge you as being a Christian, would you be able to defend the fact that you are a Christian without a doubt, without a question in your mind? Would you be able to say, yes, I'm a Christian and I can prove it? God's word says to us there are some specific things that have to happen in the life of a person. These things happened to Paul on the Damascus Road when he came face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. These things happened in the life of this jailer and in the life of the family members of the jailer. These things had to happen and in your life and in my life and any person's life, these things have to happen if a person is going to be saved. The first thing is that a person has to be convicted of their sins. A person has to be convicted of their sin. You will never be saved. You will never be God's child. You will never enter the gates of heaven until in your life you are convicted of your sins. Now God says that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And as Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, he said to the church there, you were dead in trespasses and sin. Dead meaning separated from God. You were in this condition, separated from God, lost, but now you've been saved and you're on the road to eternal life. One of the tragedies of life is the fact that a person will never change in any situation until they are convinced there's a problem. You got a problem in your marriage. Unless you are convinced that you have a problem in your marriage and your marriage can be better than it is, you will never do anything about it. You got a problem with overeating, obesity, until you become aware of the fact that I am obese, I need to lose weight, and you are willing then to pay the sacrifice. You'll never lose weight. You got a problem with smoking until you are convinced that it's a problem and you're convinced that it's ill for your health. 
You'll never do anything about it. And so until you are convicted of your sins, you'll never be saved. There was an evangelistic conference going on one year in the city of Birmingham. All the preachers and all the evangelists had gathered there for the worship time. And one evening there was an evangelist that was standing up to preach and proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he got to the point of the end of his message and he said, I know, I know that most everybody here, most everybody here is a Christian. You are preachers, you are pastors, you are evangelists, you're the wives of these. You are here because you're a Christian. But just in case there is one person here that does not know Christ, I want to give an invitation. And the invitation was given. A man stood up in the balcony. He walked out of the balcony. He came down to the front. He gave his heart and his life to Jesus Christ. As they talked to him, they found out he was a cross-country truck driver passing that church that evening, saw a service going on, was led of the Spirit to stop, came in, heard the message, and came down the aisle and said, I have been convicted of my sins tonight, and I want Jesus as the Lord of my life. Until you are convicted, you'll never be saved. The second thing that has to happen is that repentance is necessary. Repentance is necessary. John the Baptist came. He came to be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first words of his message to the world was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Now, repent means that in my life, I need a change, and I'm going to do something about it. I need a change, and I'm going to do something about it. Jesus came into this world. He began his earthly ministry, and the message of Jesus to the world was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Repentance. Not only is it repentance unto salvation, but it is repentance as Christian people as we continue to grow in the Lord and seek God's forgiveness for the things that we've done in our lives that are contrary to His will and His purpose, but there has to be conviction and there has to be repentance for a man to be saved. And there has to be faith. Faith is essential. It is because of God's grace that man can experience faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. Faith is based upon God's grace. And God's grace is not what you deserve, but what God has done for you in your life. You see, the reality is that each one of us 
should be dying in our sins and on the road to eternal hell, but because God looked down and God's grace, God's unmerited favor upon your life and my life, those of us who are Christians have been saved by the grace of God because we put our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ, which literally means that I give him my life. What I am is his, what I own is his, what I'll ever be is his. I belong to Jesus. And I'm not going to do anything that would take away my testimony for Jesus. Paul and Silas, if there were ever two people that could complain about the circumstances under which they found themselves, it was them. When they were arrested for proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Lord of life, they took rods and they beat them upon the back. In the passage we read a moment ago, it said when they were released, the jailer took them and he washed the the scars on their back. They were abused. They were placed in that jail, in the dungeon, in the inner part of the jail, put in the stocks for proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. But did they complain? No, they didn't complain. Did they complain about the temperature in the dungeon? Did they complain about somebody hurting their feelings? Did they complain about the fact that they were there with criminals and they were not criminals as such? Did they complain? No, they didn't complain. They got happy in Jesus and they began to sing the hymns. I don't know yet why all these other prisoners that were released didn't just jump up and flee except the fact that Paul and Silas were proclaiming through their hymns Jesus Christ. No doubt they wanted to see what Jesus would do in the lives of Paul and Silas. They didn't complain. They just sang. When you get down and out, blue, sing, brother. Sing to the Lord. Sing when you're driving. Hum when you're at your desk. Sing in your classroom. Sing on the playground. Sing in your household. Don't have to be able to carry a tune. Just sing. Faith is absolutely necessary. Confession is a part of our relationship to Jesus. Confession is required. Have your Bibles handy. Turn over with me as we turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, which says, Therefore, Matthew 10, 32. Therefore, everyone who would acknowledge me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before him in my Father in heaven. Jesus said, 
you don't have the courage to stand up and be counted, then I'm not going to call your name before the Father in heaven. There's no way in God's holy word that you can say, I can be a closet Christian. It just doesn't work that way. In Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 9, it says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If thou shalt confess, confess, make it known to the world. There's a fifth thing that's essential. That is that obedience to Christ is the end result of our relationship to him. Obedience to Christ is the results of our relationship to him. A moment ago when we read the scripture, the scripture says <clears throat> that when the jailer gave his heart and his life to Jesus, that immediately he was baptized and his family was baptized. Now his family was not baptized because the jailer accepted Christ. The members of his family were baptized because they individually, personally had accepted Christ as the Lord of their life. But obedience is the result of our relationship to Christ. In the little book of James, one of my favorite books in the Bible, a couple of times within that second chapter of the book, God reminds us that faith without works is dead. Faith that does not work is dead. And in Matthew again, chapter 8, verse 38, it says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Paul said as he's writing to the Christians in Rome, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. I am not ashamed. Paul in the city of Philippi was not ashamed. Does our life magnify Christ? Can we say without a doubt in my mind that I'm a Christian because we have been convicted of our sins and we've repented of our sins and we've put our faith and our trust in Jesus and we've confessed him before the world in which we live and become obedient to him in the life that we live. Can you prove today that you belong to Jesus? If there's a doubt in your life my prayer would be that you might come 
to that moment when you just search your heart and search your life and make sure of your relationship to Him. Our Heavenly Father, for the salvation that you have provided for us, for the forgiveness that you can give for our sins, for the cleansing power of the blood, for the gift that you've made available to us in Jesus Christ. We are grateful. We're thankful. And Lord, our prayer would be that we might in these moments search our hearts and search our lives and make sure that we know Jesus, that we're safe and secure in the hands of Jesus Christ. This is the most important question in our lives. It's not how successful we're going to be in business. It's not how much money we can put in the bank. It's not how many houses that we can build. It's not the kind of automobiles we're going to drive. It's not even the kind of education that we're going to acquire. The most important decision in our life is our relationship to Jesus Christ and what the future holds for us. And so, Father, those who are here that do not know Christ, help them to understand that as they come to the realization that they're lost and they need Jesus, they can repent of their sins. They can put their faith in Christ. They can find forgiveness. They can find the way of the Lord to live day by day. Whatever the decision needs to be made in our lives, oh God, we pray that we'll follow your leadership. If we're a Christian, we need a church home in this community. If we've done things, oh God, that are contrary to your will and your purpose, we need to be rededicating our lives. Or we just want to live better for you, oh Father. We need to come to the altar and pray that we might be better in Christ. Oh God, in this moment of decision, we ask for your leadership and for your presence, your presence in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we stand together, as we sing together, we invite you to come and make that decision that God wants you to make in your life. Whatever it is God is leading you to do, you come.